You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Reading today comes from Acts chapter 19 and it's verses 11 through 20. It's titled, The Sons of Sceva. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognise, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was left on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All right, well, thank you, Emily, for reading that for us. Anyone here remember the movie The Matrix? To me, it feels like a really new, fresh, contemporary movie, but um, 1999, hey? That was over 20 years ago. It's an old movie. Go figure. I don't know what happened. Uh, You might recall in that movie, the main character's name is Neo. And there's a scene in the movie where he meets with Morpheus, who's kind of like the enlightened one, spiritual master kind of vibe going on there. And Morpheus asks Neo, do you believe in fate? And uh, Neo says, no. Morpheus asks, well, why? And Neo says, because I don't like the idea that I can't control my life. And they converse a bit more. And then Morpheus says, do you want to know what it is? The matrix is everywhere. It's all around, even now in this room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work when you go to church, when you pay your taxes, it is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And Neo asks, what truth? And Morpheus says, that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, not a prison uh, that, that, it's a, that you cannot taste or smell or touch. It's a prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. You must see it for yourself. And he shows Neo two pills, uh, one red, one blue. And Morpheus says, you take the blue pill and the story ends and you wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. But you take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Well, today I'm going to invite you to uh, 
take the red pill. <laughs> so hold on. <laughs> there are three things I want to, uh, us to think about today. The first is the reality of supernatural evil. I, I want us to think about this uh, supernatural evil stuff um, not just as story, not just as movie, not just as something that happened in that hazy, uh, distant biblical world way back there. I, I want us to think about how this relates to our life, your life, in Kuhlman in the year 2022. And so my focus this week is to try and give us a bit of a framework for thinking about supernatural evil uh, but in a, in a very ordinary sense because I think we're so used to this stuff being something we watch at the cinemas. It's, in, it's the Marvel movies. It's make-believe. It's in the fantasy books. It's, it's the Harry Potter stuff. And, and it can sound a bit crazy, can't it, to think about supernatural evil in, in the context of our everyday, ordinary life. But uh, as I said, I'm, I'm asking you, like Neo, to, to take the red pill. The second thing I want to do today is to look at what God's response is to this evil. And so we're going to have a brief look at that passage from Acts chapter 19 that Emily read for us. But I'm only going to touch on it today. We're going to have a, a more fuller look at it next time I preach. I just felt that it was important today. I gave us a bit of a framework for this stuff because I, I don't often preach on this topic. In fact, I don't know if I ever have. Maybe I have, but, but I don't often preach on this. So I felt it's important to give us a bit of a, a framework. And then the third thing I want to do is I want us to think about what our experience of supernatural evil might be. Right, so let's, let's swallow that pill. Let's jump in there. Reality of supernatural evil. The truth is humanity is, is in bondage. Uh, not in the matrix, but it is a prison that we can't taste or touch or smell. It is a prison for our minds, but it's also a prison for our spirits, our souls. Galatians chapter 4 talks about humans being in slavery to the elemental spiritual forces, those weak and miserable spiritual beings who are not quite gods, but somehow they hold us captivated and captive. And we know that we are in slavery because of this. Jesus came in the world to free us from that slavery. Um, he came into the world to free us from the stronghold or the ownership that Satan has upon us as human beings. John 10.10, I reckon some of you could probably quote this one by heart. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Well, how about 1 Peter 5.8? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Be aware. There is a supernatural world and it seeks to destroy and rob human life. To put it bluntly, Jesus wants you to have an abundant, overflowing fullness of life. He wants you to have his kind of life, the Jesus kind of life, but the devil doesn't. The devil will do whatever it takes to steal that rich life from you. 
to squash it, to kill it, to destroy it. It started in the Garden of Eden and, and it continues today. So I want us to be aware, be aware of the, and awake to the schemes of, of evil. Be awake to the bondage that affects humanity. You know that person that you are sharing Jesus with? They're in bondage. That person you've been praying for, they're in slavery. And perhaps, perhaps some of us here are too. And, and maybe we don't quite realise it. But maybe like Neo, you're starting to, to catch a glimpse that, that all is not what it seems. And you suspect that there is more to life than the ordinary physical things that you experience. Of course, the family you grew up in or the church, uh, the churches you've been part of, they're going to influence how much attention you give to this stuff, to these sorts of spiritual matters, how much attention you give to things like angels, demons, spirits, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. I grew up in a church that was fantastic, but it, it certainly didn't cultivate an awareness of, of things of the supernatural or the spiritual world. And as the joke goes, you know, we, we worship the Father, the Son and the Holy Scriptures. There, there wasn't a lot of room that I remember at least for encounters with the Holy Spirit or an awareness of the supernatural realm, an awareness of spiritual possession or oppression. And of course, historically, if we were to think about um, history, historically, up until the Middle Ages, believing in the supernatural world and its impact on the natural world, it was actually quite commonplace. It was, it was kind of normal to be aware of this stuff. It was taken for common knowledge that, that the, the supernatural realm had a mysterious but very real impact on everyday life. But what we have right now in, in, in this time in human history is a very materialistic view of the world, which is a, a, what you see is what you get. And you alone have ultimate control over what happens to you. And so the spiritual world, if it even exists, is just a distant, uninvolved um, reality. It's not involved in daily human affairs. And of course, that's a bit of an Epicurean worldview. We, we sort of touched on that a, a few weeks ago. John Piper, in a sermon on Galatians 4, he says this, of course, not many people today believe that there are such things as demons, as evil spirits who oppose God and blind the minds of unbelievers and do their best to deceive, if possible, even the elect. There is such a difference between voodoo, witch doctors, black magic, divination and exorcism on one hand, and space technology, microsurgery, word processes and psychotherapy on the other that the emancipated, enlightened, high-tech West finds it hard to believe in demons. He says, even though our Lord took demons with deadly seriousness, we find it hard to take them seriously because in our culture we don't see many of the kinds of strange supernatural manifestations we typically associate with demons. But if we reject their reality, we reject the counsel of Jesus and all his apostles, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you, Jesus said in Luke 11:20. 20. 
So you'll notice this isn't a topic I cover often. Um, because let's face it, there is a tendency in, in some uh, Christians or Christian circles to embrace this topic in a very zealous and unhelpful manner. Uh, where they find demons behind every door and unfortunately that, that can lead to some rather depressing prayer meetings where the devil gets more airtime than Jesus does. However, it would be naive of us not to be aware of what happens beyond our physical senses. To believe in God, to be a Christian, it's to believe in a supernatural world. C.S. Lewis, in his preface to the Screwtape Letters, it's a great read if you haven't read it, get yourself a copy. He says this, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to believe in their existence, well, sorry, one is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, or a magician with the same delight. And so I think the challenge for us is to not fall into either extreme, isn't it? It's to be aware, but to not have an unhealthy interest or obsession in this topic. The Bible is clear. There are evil beings whose purpose is to thwart the flourishing of God's good creation. There is a supernatural enemy who enslaves humans, and, and this enemy... This enemy, he wants you to swallow that blue pill. He just wants you to go home and go about your business and forget about the crazy stuff that the crazy lady said in church. And he just wants you to get focused on ordinary life and a huge busy week you have ahead. Don't take the blue pill. Secondly, what is God's response to this supernatural evil? What's God's response? Well, in a word, God's response is Jesus, isn't it? God's response is Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to free us from this enemy. Romans 16.20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Acts 10.38 says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In today's passage that Emily read for us, uh, what we'll see is that if there was ever a place that needed the power of Jesus to be at work, bringing freedom from the bondage that people have to supernatural evil, that place was the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is the city in which our passage, Acts 19, is located. So Acts 19, it's set in the city of Ephesus. Now, what you might not know about the city of Ephesus is that it was known as a centre for magical arts. It had a reputation as a place where magical practices flourished. So it kind of had a bit of a commercial trade industry in magical things. So forget Harry Potter, this is the real deal. 
Ephesus is famous, for example, for these uh, six special magical uh, words or letters called the Ephesian letters, not to be confused with the letter to the Ephesians, very different thing, all right? Um, they would have like amulets, these special little charms that were uh, considered to, to be able to ward off evil spirits. They'd have scrolls of, of magic, which was referenced there in, in, our, in our reading, those, those books. Even the Jews got in on the magical action. So archaeologists have found uh, evidence of, of scrolls and amulets and things that, that had a distinctly Jewish uh, characteristic and, and flavour about them. And again, we see in that passage, we had the Jewish exorcists there involved. People in Ephesus would seek out charms, rituals, spells, magicians, exorcists to keep them safe from hostile supernatural powers or from curses. And they would then hope that their life would prosper by appeasing these same supernatural forces. And so it's into this culture that Paul brings the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Verse 19a, he brings the good news to these people that there is a new power. There's a new king. There's one who's going to bring you freedom uh, once and for all from those enslaving dark forces and his name is Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to free you. Acts 19, 11 to 12 God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that when handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So we're told that there were some very unusual, strange, unique miracles performed through Paul, including the expulsion of evil spirits from people. Now in a city used to the supernatural, used to magic charms and spells, this, this Jesus who Paul calls upon is, is clearly cut above the rest, okay, because it's noticed that he, it's unusual what he's able to do. This is not normal spiritual power that this man has. It's so unusual, in fact, that we see uh, the cloths that Paul had used to wipe the sweat off his face as he worked. Paul worked as a tent maker, making tents. And, you know, when you're, when you're working hard, you sweat, don't you? And so you, you, you grab the cloth, the handkerchiefs, and you wipe the, the sweat off your faces. So so unusual is, is Paul's uh, supernatural power that, that these sweat rags are used to heal people and to free them from evil spirits. What on earth is going on with that? I mean, that's unusual, isn't it? I, I was reflecting on, on this and, and really in a culture where people would use these special charms or amulets or objects that were thought to contain spiritual power to help them ward off evil spirits, it's little wonder, is it, that when word got about about this powerful Jesus spirit that Paul carried, that people would take hold of his sweat cloths and, and see them as a, a potential source for their healing. Do we make a theology out of that? Probably not, no. 
But, you know, I, I think this is an example of God working within the existing structures of a human culture. And it, and it kind of reminds me of, of the, the woman with the problem of bleeding, thinking, you know, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. You know, it was God's plan for, for all eternity for people to get healed by touching the robe of Jesus? Well, no. But God is gracious, isn't he? And he works through our, our limited or our existing or even our slightly wonky human faith and our beliefs, doesn't he? And the, so the key is reaching out in humble trust and humble faith to Jesus, knowing that he is the, the source of our healing and our freedom. And isn't that beautiful? By contrast in this story, we see the itinerant Jewish exorcists. And, and they try and use this Jesus power for their own personal profit, don't they? They haven't believed in Jesus as their Messiah, their Saviour, their King. They've just heard or seen Paul in action. They've seen the power. And so they try the same thing. And they say, I command you to come out by the name of, of Jesus who... Paul proclaims. And what happens? Well, they discover much to their horror, horror humiliation and embarrassment uh, when all seven of them are overpowered, beaten and stripped naked by this one man that the name of Jesus is no magic spell to be used at one's whim and for one's own purposes. Jesus isn't a vending machine or a magic genie in a bottle. So God's response to evil is to free people from it. I mean, that's why Jesus came. He's the seed who crushes the head of the serpent. We humans, we don't have to be slaves to evil. You know, we don't just become aware of the reality and then try our best to, to live and battle in the face of supernatural evil, do we? In Jesus, there is power to be freed from that supernatural evil, and this is good news. Is it? Is it good news? I wonder what our experience of supernatural evil has been. I wonder what your experience with this stuff has been. Maybe this is all new to you, or maybe... You know exactly what your experience of supernatural evil has been. I think our experience in 2022 looks quite different, obviously, to that of the Ephesians in the city of Ephesus. 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking to deceive, to trick, to hinder, to hurt, to pull down, to enslave. He's roaming, pacing, impatient, hungry, looking. So be aware. Be sober-minded about this. We need to start to have a discerning mind. 
You need to be alert to the enemy's schemes. Are you alert to the enemy's schemes? And I wish it was as simple as taking a little coloured pill, but it's not. But when you are alert, I think you'll notice the operation of supernatural evil in all sorts of very ordinary, very everyday situations. And of course, the purpose in noticing isn't to become fearful or anxious or start imagining demons into every single situation you find yourself in. The purpose in noticing is to enable us to bring the power of Jesus into that place of bondage and to see freedom in the name of Jesus for yourself and for others. I've got here down the front a handout uh, on discerning the voice of evil. We might even just pop that down near the tea or coffee supplies and, or pass it around and you can take one if, you, if you'd like. That's something I, I did a while ago, so you may have seen that previously, but great to have a bit of a reflection on this in your own time. So there's some few tips and tricks about discerning the voice of evil. Um, but it, it's, it's there. It happens if you pause and notice. In the process of, of writing this, there's nothing like, you know, writing something on demonic oppression or something. Go, oh, look at that. Um, but in the process of writing this, I had a couple of experiences that I, I really sensed the, the presence of the demonic in those experiences. And, and they were quite ordinary, everyday experiences. But when you start to notice, when you start to observe, you see things with, with new eyes. One of them was a phone call I had from someone and, and quite frankly this phone call had all the trademarks of spiritual interference. There was hostility, there was misunderstanding, there was a little thing that somehow blew up into a big one. You ever have those interactions with people where you feel like every time you open your mouth it's like pouring water into hot oil? You know, psh. The other, the other um, experience I had while I was writing this sermon, I, I flicked open Facebook at one point and someone had posted a video of themselves and, and I really can't think of any other explanation for what I saw in that video but, but de demonic torment, maybe even manifestation. You know, it just had the fingerprints of evil all over it. This person was in torment. I remember I was reflecting on a, a previous experience I had quite some time ago when someone said some things to me and, you know, there was such a, an, an insidious, well-tailored deception and it, and it targeted me. It was like it was just targeted perfect for every insecurity and fear I had in myself. And, and so it just very cleverly attacked my, my self-worth, my fears, my identity and it just left me with this heavy cloud of shame and condemnation and depression and um, it, it had the potential to be quite damaging but thankfully the Holy Spirit gave me uh, insight into that as being a spiritual attack and I was able to stand firm in that attack and, and not do anything stupid. But my personal uh, experience when it's a spiritual attack is that, that when I realise what's going on, when I become alert and aware to what's really happening and when I take authority over that spirit, when I take a stand and I say no in the name of Jesus, and, and again, there's no magical formula, is there? All right, there's no magical formula. Um, we're not the Ephesians, are we? We don't have our, our, our scrolls. But um, it's just understanding that there is power in the name of Jesus, that Jesus is our king 
our ruler and demonic spirits must submit to his authority. And when we do this, it's remarkable how quickly and noticeably the oppression and the heaviness of a spiritual attack will lift. And I've, I've noticed that often it's actually as simple as just realising that it is an enemy attack. And often just the revelation of that sees that oppression lift for us as a believer. So we must know this, Jesus equips his followers with spiritual authority to command evil spirits to go. And if you have turned to Jesus, if he's your Lord, your life, if he has filled you with the spirit, then you have his delegated authority. Yes? Yes. You have his delegated authority. He's living in you. You know, the Jewish exorcists in our passage, they didn't have authority to use the name of Jesus, firstly because they hadn't been freed from their bondage to evil. And if you're in bondage to evil, you can't really cast it out, can you? Because you're not stronger than it, are you? But secondly, they didn't belong to Jesus, so they hadn't received his power. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit into their life. So what I want to say to us is don't live with it. Deal with it. There is power in the name of Jesus to be free from supernatural evil. So I guess the question I I, want to throw out and leave you with is, do you feel like you're fighting against supernatural evil in your life? Have you noticed that in your life or maybe in the lives of others? Is there a darkness or an oppression that that either you feel you're battling against or maybe you notice it in the lives of your family or your friends? Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians and um, you you can see the cultural context that that he's addressing in in this this letter to the Ephesians that speaks directly into their experience of, of supernatural evil. And he said this, and I'll just, as I finish, I'll I'll read this to you. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I'm going to pray and, you know, I'm actually going to ask you to stand because, we, you know, we, we are standing in the authority and the power that Jesus has given us and we are his representatives. We are the people that, that are, are sent out into those dark places of God's world to bring light and freedom from this bondage. You're soldiers. You're wearing that heavenly armour. He has filled you with his power. He has given you his delegated authority to deal with this stuff. So be aware, notice it, and then deal with it. Let's pray. Lord God, we stand here in the the authority that you have given us as, as believers, as your disciples. 
And we ask that you would uh, give us the ability to discern when situations are, are spiritual in origin, when there is a spiritual attack, when there is supernatural evil or oppression at work. Lord, give us the gift of discernment to know what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And Lord, give us the confidence and the boldness to take authority over that evil in Jesus' name. And Lord, for anyone standing here today who is who's battling some of these uh, forces of oppression, anyone who might be listening on this recording later, we just speak the name and the power of Jesus into those situations. We speak the name of Jesus uh, to bring relief and freedom and release from bondage for families who are um, families who are at war. Lord, we just speak a, a, a release of bondage for those who are struggling with uh, mental health issues or torment that is, is not physical in origin, but those that are uh, emotional or spiritual in origin, Lord. We just speak a release of your healing power upon those people in Jesus' name. And Lord, where there is... Um, uh, uh, hurt or uh, a blockage uh, that is preventing uh, people receiving your good news, preventing people uh, connecting in with your church, preventing people being disciples and followers and worshippers of you. We just break that, um, that stronghold in Jesus' name. We break that stronghold across this community across the Shire of Coolerman, in Jesus' name, we just speak a release of your light, your abundant life and your power in Jesus' name. And we just thank you that those who have turned away from you will turn back to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you send us out and that you would send us out as, as your um, power-filled uh, soldiers. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your love, we thank you for your life and we just thank you that, um, yeah, we thank you that you guide us and give us wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's, um, let's sing this power in the name of Jesus.